And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today, Dr. Hans Vogt. Hi, Dan. Hans, it's great to have you here. Thanks. Good to be here. It's been a little while, so it's uh, it's a privilege. Uh, Hans, you're a professor at Ulster County Community College, uh, professor of history. Your specialty is, uh, what, American history? That's right. And um, very appropriate um, that we have you on the air with us today because... In just a mere two days from today is a holiday in America, and it's called President's Day. That's right. We uh, celebrate uh, specifically uh, two of our greatest presidents, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, sort of splitting the difference between their birthdays. Yeah. Uh, Lincoln was, of course, on February 12th, and then Washington on uh, February 22nd. Okay. But we also honor, in general, the office of the president and really all the men or at least most of the men who have held the job how long has president's day been celebrated we used to celebrate uh washington's and lincoln's birthday separately Mm -hmm. Uh, and then in the interest of uh, making things easier for businesses we moved it to the monday in between uh, the two yeah, I, I still like doing it the old way, actually, celebrating the two uh, <laughs> separately. But so, then again, I'm always looking for another holiday. So. Is Ulster County Community College off? Uh, yes. On Monday, Day. yes, for President's yeah, well, Day. Well, that's, yes. that's nice for you, right? That's good, yeah. Yeah. Of course, you love to teach, so maybe it's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you come here, I learn something, so I'm thankful for that. Um, what would you like to talk about today regarding our presidents, whether it's Washington or Lincoln? Well, I was thinking Lincoln, of course, has been very much in the public eye with uh, Spielberg's uh, movie. Ah, yes. And, of course, I think it's up for a few, uh, at least one uh, Academy Award. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, and so, you know, there's been a lot of, of course, talk about uh, how historically accurate is the movie and, and what was Lincoln really like anyway and so forth. So Yeah. I'm a little bit um, uninformed because, actually, I haven't seen the movie yet. So, um Maybe you can... Well, I won't give away any, any of the plot. Without giving away too much, tell us a little bit about the movie, I suppose, just as a, as a beginning. Well, the movie really focuses in on a, just a few months uh, at the um, end of 1864, beginning of 1865, and it focuses specifically on the battle to get the 13th Amendment passed by Congress. And that, of course, was the amendment which abolished slavery everywhere in the United States. Mm-hmm. And so the movie looks at uh, Lincoln as a politician, uh, as well as uh, a moral leader. And uh, I think Daniel Day-Lewis, the actor who plays Lincoln, did a really fantastic job. And uh, mm-hmm. certainly he would be deserving of uh, an Oscar if he were to win one. Mm. Maybe he'll become president someday. <laughs> that happened with Ronald Reagan. <laughs> well, I think he's a British citizen, so I think he... Also, he, forget yeah. that. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to go there any further. <laughs> So, President's Day, and Lincoln in particular. Um, Lincoln certainly was our president during a uh, very dark time in the United States of America. Maybe you can um, help us understand that that time during which he he was our president. Yeah, he really is the war president. Uh, He's actually the only president whose entire presidency, uh, from start to finish, was involved with war. Literally the day after he was inaugurated in March of 1861, he received the message from Major Robert Anderson at Fort Sumter saying that either they had to resupply the fort 
or he mm-hmm. was going to have to surrender it. Uh, and of course, it would be a, a, a month later, the firing on Fort Sumter that started the Civil War. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, he died um, by the assassin's uh, bullet prior to the end of the Civil War. So, Oh, yeah. I, I wasn't even aware of that. I guess I'd probably forgotten that from my history classes. <laughs> if I was in your history class, I'd get a, a D now. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what was he like? What was Lincoln like? Was he a good man? Uh, he was a very, um, I think, honest man. You know, of course, that's the reputation of honest Abe. That's true. Uh, and which isn't to say he was not, he was a skilled politician and he certainly um, uh, was very good at that. But he, I think, had a strong sense of, of moral integrity. And he mm. really seemed to understand, perhaps more clearly than a lot of the other politicians of his generation, what the main issues were and and where the moral boundaries, if you will, lay. Mm -hmm. And uh, getting, of course, the people, uh, the majority of the people at least, to come around uh, and to see it, that's another story. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, you know, I think he deserves to have his face carved on Mount Rushmore. I I do think he's one of the, uh, you know, one of the, the, probably the best presidents that we've had. Mm Mm-hmm. Who else is carved there, by the way? <laughs> Wasn't there some <laughs> idea of George carving George Washington, <laughs> Thomas Jefferson, and uh, Theodore Roosevelt. I just failed that exam, too. <laughs> so, um, we'll today we're the lowest grade. <laughs> talking about President's Day. In the studio with me is Dr. Hans Vogt, Professor Ulster County Community College. Now, um, what was one of the hardest decisions, perhaps, that president lincoln faced well i think he had a number of them i mean first there was the whole issue of how he was going to handle uh the secession of uh, at first seven uh southern states had seceded from the union uh, prior to his taking office uh, and then four more seceded after the fall of fort sumter Mm -hmm. uh, in april of 1865 Uh, and so you can imagine he's been elected president of the united states and he's at home in Springfield, Illinois, preparing for that job and trying to figure out who's going to hold what cabinet post and <laughs> and all of that. And Surprise. then, yeah, he's got to deal with this huge crisis and the nation's falling apart. And yes. Congress is, you know, running around like chickens with their heads cut off. Yes. And um, but what's interesting is his response. He's he seemed to have been able to at least publicly keep his head and to lay out very clearly uh, what he was going to do. Uh, and to tackle, you know, the some of the main issues, uh, and particularly this issue of when is there a right of revolution? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what Lincoln said is that revolution is a right when it is exercised for a morally justifiable cause. But without mm-hmm. such a cause, revolution is no right, but simply a wicked exercise of physical power. And so Lincoln's argument was that while he recognized there was a time and a place for revolution, uh, as with our our own founding fathers, uh, that a revolution for uh, a cause like slavery in his eyes was simply not morally justifiable. It was Mm -hmm. not uh, a good enough reason to uh, declare independence and try to break away and establish a new country. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, hold that thought. Um, Today we're talking about President's Day. In the studio is Dr. Hans Vogt. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf in the studio today, Dr. Hans Vogt. We're talking about President's Day. And, um, you know, there was a couple of questions, um, Professor, that popped into my mind uh, as you were talking about uh, what uh, President Lincoln was going through. He was uh, truly a war president. All of a sudden, uh, within a day, he's faced with um, a firing on Fort Sumter, etc., and a secession. Um, here's a question. Maybe it's controversial, but um, do you see a secession in the future of America? I'm not asking you to be a prophet or anything, but, I mean, you've done a lot of reading. Um, is that even a possibility? I think it would be far more difficult today Um you know, we're not the decentralized republic of 150 years ago. We are far more centralized. We are far more integrated, um, whether you think in terms of technology, infrastructure, certainly in terms of national defense. Um, mm-hmm. I think it would be very difficult. I guess I would say I would see it as being highly unlikely that you yes. could have a successful uh, yes. effort at secession today. That kind of matches my gut feel, and I, I have a pretty good gut feel <laughs> anymore if you're looking at my gut. Um, but what about this aspect of the question? Knowing the Constitution, knowing our government, is it is it a legitimate option? That's a really good question. And, of course, um, scholars uh, have come down on, on both sides of it. Uh, as you might imagine. Right, right. Uh, Lincoln's argument was that it's not constitutional. He said basically no okay. government ever had a provision in its organic law, that is its founding law, for its own termination. And so that's why he felt he, his argument, his consistent argument, was that um, the southern states hadn't seceded, mm-hmm. that this was a rebellion of individuals, not uh, of states. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would expect him to say that. that of course. would be consistent with what we know about our present. Lincoln. Really, it boils down to how you understand 
the Constitution in its relation to the first Constitution, which was the Articles of Confederation. Yeah. Because the Articles of Confederation pretty clearly indicated that it was a confederation, hence the name, of yeah. 13 sovereign states. Uh, and who retained a, most of the aspects of sovereignty. They were agreeing to work together on issues of foreign policy and defense and things like that, but they retained a lot more control. Now, when the new constitution was written, uh, it created, in the, in the words of the preamble, a more perfect union. And so the that's argument... W- that's why those words were there, I guess. Exactly. Right. So the argument is, is it a clean break from the Articles of Confederation, or is it a continuation? Those who favor secession argue that it's a continuation mm-hmm. and that state sovereignty was not lost or reduced by the new constitution. Mm-hmm. Those who take the opposite view say, no, the new constitution created a single nation mm-hmm. and that option is now gone. Now, I guess I'm probably of the, of the, of the earlier view, and um, I suspect you're of the latter view, and we get along just fine. Um, That's right. But... Um, what what concerns me, independent of which view you adopt, is um, let's let's adopt the more popular view, the more general view that it's a very tight union. Um, in order to convince the people of that day, now we're talking about President's Day, but we got kind of deeper all of a sudden that we really wanted this Constitution in what seventeen eighty seven or whatever. Did I pass the quiz right on that one? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they had to convince those naysayers by giving them what uh, uh, amendments? Sure. You have the Bill of Rights. Uh, Bill of was Rights. One of the excuse me. Preconditions for yeah. ratification. Essentially. So I would hope that those Bill of Rights would be viewed as being cast in stone, as it were, here in the United States of America. And I think what frustrates those of us who may have a little um, appreciation of secession is that we see them being chipped away. So how do you handle that properly and keep the union and not lose those rights, those freedoms? Right. Well, it's a good question. You know, when you look at what happened uh, with the Civil War, uh, and this goes back to the comment we made before the break where Lincoln said, you know, Revolution needs to have a morally justifiable cause. Right. Um, you have to weigh out at what level do the abuses of power uh, or the loss of liberty, when does it rise to a level where you've reached a point of no return, where you see no option but revolution? Yeah. And what's interesting is that when you look at the arguments made by Southern leaders, they really talked more about revolution than secession. Uh, they made the stronger argument for revolution and basically said, we're doing what our forefathers did uh, in, the, in the revolution against Great Britain. Huh. But, of course, the outcome of the Civil War was essentially to cement the Union much more strongly. Yeah. Uh, you know, the commonplace, I'm sure, you know, all of our listeners have heard is that prior to the Civil War, United States was a plural noun. We said the United States are. Yes. Since the Civil War, we make it a singular noun. The United States is. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's interesting. Don't get me wrong. I want to see us maintain our union. I think this is the, st- at least still, the greatest nation in the world, and it's been blessed of God. Um, Absolutely. This, this 
constitution is important to us. And um, do you find students, um, I'm kind of wandering today, forgive me, uh, often talking about us being a democracy as um, as compared with uh, the verbiage uh, a republic or a constitutional republic. Uh, most of the time in the news, it's it's a democracy. What what on earth are we? <laughs> <laughs> a democratic republic. A democratic republic. There you go. <laughs> I mean, certainly we are we are far more democratic than we were in 1787. Yeah, you know, the right to vote has been expanded. You know, to where originally it was only white property owning men right. uh, over the age of 21, and and then it was extended to African American men after the Civil War, and then to women, and then. The voting age was lowered to 18 and so forth. Yeah. Um, at the same time, we've also seen voter turnout go down uh, mm-hmm. over the 20th century. So there's a bit of irony in that more people have been it given is. the right to vote, but fewer people have maybe we exercised don't, the right. Maybe we don't appreciate it. I think many people don't. I think we take for granted um, what we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we take, or we don't take seriously, the responsibility that comes with citizenship. Yeah. Help us get back on track to President's Day. Um, President's Day, talking about Lincoln. Anything else you want to mention about President Lincoln in his lifetime? Uh, certainly, it's a tragic death. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, terrible. Um, could that have been avoided? Well, it really comes out of the end of the war and mm-hmm. the utter um, sense of despair Mm. That was in the South. Uh, both sides had hoped initially that it would be a short war. Uh, and mm. the initial strategy, of course, for the for the North had been to, uh, they called it the Anaconda Plan, but basically to surround the South and sort sure. of squeeze in and hope that people would come to their senses and stop. Right. But by the second year of the war, when it became clear that wasn't going to happen, uh, the war became increasingly violent. It became increasingly total war where both sides were seeking to enact as much damage and destruction Mm -hmm. as they could. Um, You wind up with over 630,000 people being killed, which is far greater than any other war in our history. And when you think about what that means in a nation of about 60 million people, um, nobody's untouched after the Civil War. Everybody knows somebody who has either died or been wounded, whether physically or emotionally yeah. through combat, it is a hurting, grieving nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that one person would choose to, or a group of people, because it's really a broader plot to mm-hmm. assassinate several government officials, but that they would choose to take that out in the form of, of violence and assassination really isn't that surprising. It's right. horrible, but it's not surprising. It's horrible, and, it, and I must say it's unacceptable. Of right? course. Um, we have uh, government officials whom we totally disagree with, but you never take that route, right. ever. Right. Uh, you have a proper uh, exchange of uh, handing off of powers through the vote, and, and you do it properly. You never go that route. Another thing, this is an, just a commentary, and that is um, they expected it to be a short war. And maybe that's a lesson learned, that those who might be more inclined to have a secessionist favorable to secession, which, frankly, I I am of that ilk, I suppose, need to realize that it's never clean. Right. And you always get into a lot more problems than you ever thought possible. And even back here. Um, and, and I'm thinking, um, 
630,000, was that the number, people uh, killed. And I'm thinking, wasn't there a better way to solve the differences? You know, and these are brothers, as it were, fighting brothers. Right. And it's, it's, it's truly one of the most tragic times in our nation's history. Now, let me ask you this. Um, the people, the people during this time, um, how would you characterize them in terms of a religious faith? You know, we're Christians, so I use the word religious cautiously, but I, I think it's okay to use it in this context. Uh, how would you characterize um, the average Joe <laughs> in America? Well, of course, in the um, first half of the 19th century, you had a series of religious revivals that we collectively call the Second Great Awakening mm. uh, that has swept over many parts of the country. Uh, and immediately before the Civil War, well, in, in, the, in the late 1850s, you had um, what's known as the Businessmen's Revival, which had mm. gone through several cities beginning in New York City. So you did have um, a number of people um, coming to, to faith. Um, it's interesting, Lincoln himself, um, it's not clear that Lincoln ever had uh, a uh, conversion experience. He believed mm-hmm. in God. Mm-hmm. Uh, he believed strongly in God's providence. He saw God's providence at work through the events of the Civil War. Yes. And uh, as one historian, Alan Gelzo, has put it, Lincoln wanted to believe, but just could never quite mm-hmm. make that commitment, as, as far as we can tell, mm-hmm. to, to accept uh, Jesus as uh, mm-hmm. Lord and Savior. So he was, um, maybe we would say, a, a nominal Christian, believed in the big concepts, providence of God, but in terms of having a personal relationship with Christ, as an evangelical Christian would describe it, don't really see that, that evidence. So Alan Gelzo calls him a Calvinist deist. Yes. Uh, which is sort of an oxymoron, but it does kind of capture yes. his viewpoint yes. there. Yes, that is interesting. Well, we're talking about President's Day. It's coming up two days from now. Um, we live in a great country. Those of us who love this form of government, uh, it's a constitutional republic, or as you described before, a, a, a democratic republic, Um we don't want to see us lose this great American experiment. Um, this is off the cuff, unrehearsed. Um, do you have concerns over where we're at right now as you observe the political landscape and what's going on in America without getting yourself in trouble uh, <laughs> as a professor, but anything that you would want to share? Well, one of the things that I think where there's a parallel uh, is you see in the 1850s uh, political rhetoric between the two major political parties of, of that day uh, reaching a point where there was no common ground anymore. Ah. Uh, and uh, of course, Lincoln describes it by you know borrowing this phrase from Jesus: "A house divided against itself cannot stand." Right. But as one way to look at the Civil War is to see it as basically uh, political conflict boiling over to the point where it spilled out into military conflict. Violence, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, and, and I don't think we're there yet, um, certainly. But yet, there, you know, we do need to be careful in the heat of the moment what words we use and, and tone of voice and, and to remember that we can disagree without about ideas and we can disagree about policies right. without 
resorting to you know a, a yeah. level of personal vitriol where it just becomes impossible yeah. to have a conversation. And I feel also that we need to protect our Constitution, and we need to protect our Bill of Rights. Absolutely. Um, that's, that's our government. You, you, it's wrong for... Can I preach now? It's it's wrong for one person with power to say this is the way it's going to be and thereby violate uh, our Bill of Rights, mm-hmm. for example. Um, Wrap-up thought. I see we're already out of time. <laughs> Maybe some advice, even, from the great professor. <laughs> well, I think when you look at Lincoln, I mean, certainly in his own time, he was accused of uh, exceeding uh, the authority of of the presidency, uh, and it's usually during a war that presidents have the most power. They they mm-hmm. use that that power as commander in chief, the war power, sure. to to take action. Um, Lincoln's own argument, of course, was that he he tried as much as possible to 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 stay you know within the limits of the Constitution to work with uh, Congress. And emancipation is probably a great example of that. Lincoln issues the Emancipation Proclamation under his power, war powers commander-in-chief as an act of military necessity. But then he goes and works with the senators and the congressmen to get the 13th Amendment passed, recognizing that ultimately it is a matter of congressional responsibility to amend the Constitution and to convince a majority of the nation that, you know, the time for slavery had ended and in, in a new beginning. Yes. Was and had here. they read the bill before they voted on it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I couldn't resist. <laughs> yes. It's always wise to read them. <laughs> well, um, if, um, if you'd like to further this discussion, maybe you have a question for Professor Vote. we would encourage you to send us an email. Our address here at the station is ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. This entire episode is up on our website. Check it out. That address is RedeemerBroadcasting.org. And a quick reminder to join us again next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.